He was slinging puns at a B&B when he had an epiphany. And they complained about time too, about not playing D&D. It was free for all, and I heard him say, he bought my Borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Hello and welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands. My name's Spencer, aka Free Thrall, and this is an episode. This is a. <laughs> this is a podcast about RPGs and stuff. In this episode, first of all, I wanted to address the energy with which I opened the show because I noticed in the last episode there was a real drop off, quite a, a jarring contrast between the energy with which I made the introduction and then subsequently talked about what the show was going to be about because I'd recorded those sections at very different times. Perhaps one remedy for that is deciding what the episode is going to be about before I record the intro so I can do it in one hit. Or perhaps, alternatively, I could choose to have a more leisurely introduction to the show so as not to have so much of a contrast between the disparate elements that I record when I get the opportunity to record them or maybe I should just start each recording session with a nice strong coffee what do you think now it's interesting that I ask what you think there because obviously I'm not currently able to hear a response now i think that's a good subject for me to address in this episode feedback and how spotify's decision to remove anchor's greatest feature how that's impacted on not just my show but many of the shows of the other former anchorites how those messages are very much certainly a contributing factor to what motivates me to put shows together and um, you know just consider other ways in which people can reach out to the show you know other ways I might be able to generate feedback so yeah I guess what I'm saying there is I'd love to hear feedback about how to receive more feedback <laughs> with that or robberous nonsense out of the way. Let's go on to responding to some of those messages that I'm so grateful to have received. Yo, dude, that <laughs> that paragraph from Apocalypse World you read is a complete word salad, man. There is no argument here. <laughs> it's it's a terribly constructed uh, paragraph. You know, people talk about high guy Gaxian and how the DMG is confuzzled and hard to get through. But that that apocalypse world paragraph is a mess, man. And I'd be willing to bet I can't swear on it, but I'd be willing to bet that in the second edition, uh, it cleans that up some. Uh, you did an awesome, awesome breakdown of Apocalypse World, man. I really appreciate it. I'm not going to sit here and be like, you need to play, though, if you ever want to play. 
we sh- I, I we should figure it out or some of those other games city of mist just from the name alone i'm into i've never read it but that sounds very very interesting uh and yeah man as far as the uh <laughs> as far as the sex moves go you know they, those never struck me as weird when i none of apocalypse worlds th- this shows how weird i am right because reading that book even though I'd never played anything like it before, even though I hadn't played any role playing games for over a decade, you know, um, I'd been playing Pathfinder for a year or two, probably when I first read Apocalypse World. It just it made sense to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, sex moves. Yep. People have sex in a lot of my games that I'm involved in. There is <laughs> romantic trysts. So I was just like, yeah, OK, cool, man. I get it. And I, I understand how, you know, some games feel off. Like for you and Jason and some other folks, it feels like Apocalypse World is a different type of role playing game. I feel that way about ICRPG. Like the whole idea with the timer and everything's supposed to be done in these almost like separate little scenes, like little individual packets of information that feels very foreign to me um so i get it when you guys talk about how this game feels different and how you think you need somebody experienced or special to run it but again i'm not special i'm a total weirdo and uh we can figure it out dude (laughs) we can absolutely figure something out i miss playing with you but i'm happy you're putting out episodes again thank you thank you so much for that breakdown of apocalypse world i'm gonna shut up now peace out Joe Richter of Hindsightless there. Thanks for those kind words, Joe. And we certainly need to get more games on together of whatever. Um, I'm pretty sure that paragraph was from second edition. I think that's the only edition I'm familiar with, actually. Fortunately, the previous paragraph is all you need to understand what they're going on about, what they're failing to elaborate on in that next paragraph i don't think there's anything else quite like that in the rest of the book and you are not the weird one dude you are just unburdened with the kind of hang-ups that i have i hear what you're saying about index card rpg too but where a game like apocalypse world has a clear idea of how it wants to be played i think i see rpg as much more of a toolbox although having said that i heard on your podcast on responding to my message where i touch on this subject you actually say that you find i see rpg prescriptive which surprises me i have to say but because I view it as like a, a grab bag of great ideas that you can take or leave at its heart. It's just a D20 plus modifier, beat the target number. That's the whole system there, really. But it's also a whole bunch of methods, tips and tricks to help keep the game flowing. That seems to be the main focus of it. Techniques for applying pressure, and yes, a lot of that stuff does feel very gamey and is clearly influenced by 
video games. Well, that's that's how it looks to me, you know, in, in the ways you have these timers, these countdowns, trigger events, attack waves, all that kind of stuff. But as far as I can see, Apocalypse World leans into the into that kind of stuff too, keeping track of what's going on in the world at large as far as the GM's concerned. I think, you know, it just chops things up a little differently. But thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate that message and um, never shut up. Okay. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Listen to your Learning to Crawl episode. And I stopped before Colin's message to comment on the Apocalypse World piece. Yeah, I definitely bounce off rules that try to be too smart sometimes. I, in all disclosure, have not actually read the original Apocalypse World rules. I need to do that. And I wasn't putting those games down at all. I've really enjoyed the ones that I have played when I played with, with good uh, GMs. You know, I've just played a couple with bad GMs, and it seems to have really bogged those games down, more so than maybe a regular game. I don't know. No matter what, a bad GM's a bad GM, and a good GM's a good GM. But the ones I played that have gone well have been a lot of fun. So I, I do encourage you to check out Power by the Apocalypse, you know, as a player at some point. Um, but I did want to comment on two things. One, about 10 minutes into your episode, you talked about how like subverting the dungeon master calling for the role thing. That's not my understanding of it. Even in Power by the Apocalypse games, the player is just describing what they're doing. And at some point, the GM's going to say, hey, it sounds like you're doing this kind of move, make a roll. So the player's not asking to roll in those games. And maybe I misunderstood you, but I, I know for me, I'm not a fan of games where the player has to roll. I much prefer games where the DM says, okay, make this roll. Um, the other thing I want to say is, and you did clarify this later after listening to the good friends of Jack and Elias, but, you know, sex is a, a part of our lives no matter what, right? So even if we're not regularly having intercourse with another human being, sex is a regular part of our lives, just how we interact with the world, how we see things, how we process things, be it commercials, be it movies, be it whatever, um, Sorry, I had to lower my phone because I was driving past people that shouldn't see me talking on my phone in the car. But, you, you know, like, think about it. When we judge movies, what scale do we use? Let's be honest. The 3B scale is used, whether we use the Joe Bob's Briggs version of Blood, Breasts, and Beasts, or we use the other alternate version of Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts. Regardless, both of those have breasts in there. And... That's a criteria we judge movies by, you know, even if we don't like to admit it. So, I don't know. Anyway, I, I want to hear what Colin has to say, so I'm going to go back to your show. That was Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast there. And thank you very much, Jason. Um, I don't know that I would say the rules are trying to be smart as such. I think the change in terminology is more to do with getting you to rethink how you play, uh, perhaps trying to break you out of certain habits, um, stuff you might take for granted, getting you to rethink learning methods of play and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, you know, if you're happy with the way you play, the way you do things, then maybe that approach is not 
so much appreciated. Um, it may come across as trying a little too hard, perhaps. I don't know. As far as players calling for roles is concerned, I was trying to say that PBTA games were attempting to get away from that by encouraging players to just describe what their character is trying to do. Obviously, that didn't come across in what I was saying. Um, you did get me thinking about where that whole calling for roles thing does come from. Um, my assumptions is that it's something that grew out of the way folks play 3rd edition. But as I say, that's just an assumption. I've never played 3rd edition. I don't really play any games like that. But I guess if you're rewarded for using particular skills, and I'm thinking of Chaosium's basic role-playing here, when I say that, I mean, that might encourage you to call for roles of particular skills if you're looking to level that stuff up but um that's certainly not the way i play call of cthulhu so i might be talking complete nonsense there too that's always a possibility um as for the sex thing yeah sure it's something that can shape how we think and interact but i'm sure there are folks walking the earth for whom it's not a big factor it may not be much of an influence at all not even something that's on their to-do list but i hear what you're saying and i largely agree although i've never considered ranking movies by boob count to be honest is that what bpm stands for boobs per movie also i can't condone driving while you're using your phone i'm hoping to grow my audience jason not diminish it and you're also a regular feature of the show, so, you know, be careful out there. And as my dear departed mother-in-law used to say, please drive nicely. And um, Jason has a little more to say, I think. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. So again, I'm paused. I got uh, six minutes left to your show, but the latest episode, the Learning Crop episode. Um, to me, procedurals are much more useful in solo play than they are in group play. I, I find it's good for the DM to be familiar with these concepts and employ them, but I, with group, it's a lot more dynamic. And because you have group interactions and things happen and, you, you know, you're playing off other people, then having that strict timetable isn't as easy, let's say, as doing it solo by yourself where it's more of a board game kind of thing um, but I mean it's definitely doable I don't get me wrong but I, personally I think the procedure is more useful for the group play as far as um, Marcia's stuff or, or I know I'll pronounce that wrong and I apologize in advance the I haven't read FMC either the people I know in the old school community that kind of have kind of bounced off it I don't really remember why I'd have to go back and, and look the random that trifold to replace procedures is interesting. My problem with that could be, and I haven't read it. So, you know, I'm driving in the car, listening to you talk. The It would need to have a mechanism in there so you don't have, you're not having the same event over and over and over. You don't want to have depletion happen three turns in a row, right? I mean, I guess you have different things to deplete, but if you're just exhausted, then you don't want to be exhausted again and again, three times in a row, right? And if you're just using D6, that's very possible. 
So you would need to have mechanism in if you roll the same number, add one to it or something like which is a simple enough house rule or a simple enough rule to do. But again, I think now I think that random with that modifier I just said, I think that's more useful for playing with a party, playing with a group than it is in a solo play. Because to me, solo is the time to incorporate those heavy procedures. But very, very interesting. Okay, back to your show. As far as that procedure of mine is concerned, yes, it was solo play that got me thinking about that. And I guess in group play, I'm thinking more of sort of having it there as like a safety net in case I find myself missing out something significant or as a prompt if I find myself wondering what to do next. As you say, in a group, that kind of thing largely takes care of itself through just, you know, the flow of interaction. And yes, I can see that reducing everything to D6 rolls will have its limitations, but I think it might be an interesting idea to play around with. And again, probably lends itself more readily to solo play, perhaps. I mean, one would assume you interpret the rules in a way that makes sense, and a tool could easily grind things to a halt if you're going to stick to them slavishly but these things are there to help and support keep the game ticking along i don't know if you're familiar with errant the rules like procedure heavy rpg which is pretty much built on that d6 event dice idea and just employing it kind of across the board for all kinds of procedures that's an interesting read but sure it does seem like that might be oversimplifying things a little too much, perhaps. Thanks for your feedback, Jason, and thank you for those messages. All right, Spence, how you doing? Now, I've got, I've got to fess up, got to fess up, as the kids would say. And um, regarding board game collections, RPGs, the shelf of shame and acquisition of stuff back in the day there when I was at college I wrote a uh, kind of an essay on the burden of possessions and um, I was all about the minimalism and at heart I'm a bit of a minimalist but this is entirely a personal thing um, I, I am conscious that at times it might seem that I am um, foisting my opinion upon others but uh, I, I hope I hope that it, it is my ramblings are not taken too seriously and I would hate to think that you you feel bad because I've suggested that one needs to purge themselves of their much-loved games and books and whatever I mean uh, for me it, it I just feel a I, I, I don't know they I've said it many a time, but it feels like the the, the books are goading me, and I, I feel bad when they're sitting there doing nothing. But that that's just my own uh, a strangeness, a, a quirk of my personality. I have I I still retain a bunch of stuff, um, and I think I think some of the issue is I I wonder about what's going to happen to it all when I I move on to the great gaming table in the sky as it were and 
you know, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's it's not a particularly comfortable thought, really. But at the same time, here I am. I'm still picking up the likes of Dragon Warriors and some of this nostalgic stuff and exploring it. And probably when I'm done with it, yeah, I'll shift it on. Um, probably in some sort of five-year cycle, because for me, five years seems to be the way it works. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I just thought I'd call in, mate, because I felt bad. I felt bad, especially as you got a double whammy and then Che come in with the sucker punch or the baseball bat to finish you off. Uh, I hope you've you've recovered and you you're back to spending all your pennies to fill your sh- <laughs> fill your shelf of shame. Um, anyway, take care, mate. I hope you're well, and I'll catch you later. Thank you, Colin. I really appreciate that. And there's no need to feel in the least bit bad about any of that. Colin Green of Spike Pit fame there. Very much the Optimus Prime of UK RPG podcasting, from my perspective at least. I certainly don't feel like your opinion was being foisted upon me in any way. These hang-ups are all my own work. Um interested to hear that you're a minimalist at heart i think you and my wife would probably get along very well she doesn't have much in the way of personal possessions that's not to say she doesn't know how to treat herself but she doesn't have that attachment to physical things the way i do she'll read a book and no matter how much she likes it she'll pass it on to somebody else or take it down the charity shop whereas i have shelves and shelves of books many of which I've not yet read and I like to keep hold of the good ones that I have read. I mean, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a collector. It was only about 10 years ago that I got rid of a rather extensive VHS collection despite not having anything to play them on for a number of years before that. And uh, that only happened because I was moving house. I've still got an extensive CD collection boxed up somewhere. Um, You talk about what's eventually going to happen to it all. You know, we're all getting on. And I don't doubt that I have stuff that will never get to the table. But what can I say? I like things. Thank you very much for that message, Colin. Cheers. And concerning feedback, I've been thinking about how to encourage folks to call in more. Um, As you can see, calls really help to make the episodes what they are. I wonder if you have any ideas how I might make it easier for listeners to contact the show or encourage folks to take that extra step to call in. I mean, Jason has the best idea already, having a monthly competition to get folks calling in. And I wonder how many of those competition entrants end up going on to become regular callers into the show, or at least calling to other regular shows, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, I was wondering whether to create a, a Discord server primarily for the podcast. I mean... Would that make it easier for me to be found on Discord? 
I'm still not entirely sure how folks find each other on there, to be honest, apart from, you know, sharing links. There is the Facebook page for the podcast, which is a, which has a fair bit of interaction on it. I'm always posting stuff, but as I understand it, Facebook users are a dying breed. It's probably a similar situation on Twitter too. I do have an email address for the show, but I hardly ever get anybody using that other than those from the indie creators uh, via the Stout Stoke Press review database I was part of briefly. So yeah, any ideas to get folks contacting the show would be much appreciated. Um, and this isn't really about growing an audience either. I'm, I'm happy with the listens I get. I really appreciate my listeners. Obviously, I just want to continue creating engaging stuff and being able to interact with the audience is a key part of that, I think. So if you have any ideas, is there anything in particular I've done in the past that you'd like to hear more of? I know Joe's a fan of me reading stuff and um, I'm perfectly happy to keep doing that. Or um, perhaps you'd like to hear me try my hand at something new. Like running games, yeah, I hear you. But, you know, I'm up for answering questions about almost anything, really, gaming or otherwise. You can reach me through the methods I've already mentioned, uh, links in the show notes and all that. I was thinking a bit more about feedback and why I really like this medium and the whole concept of being able to leave audio messages, me being able to listen to them, sort of mull over a response, let things maybe percolate a little, uh, refine my thoughts and kind of respond at my leisure. I'm a bit of an esprit d'escalier merchant, you know. I often come up with an appropriate response long after the opportunity has passed. I do like the ability to kind of mull things over and refine my thoughts, often uh, stating something several different ways before I feel I've captured what I mean. Something that absolutely infuriates my wife because she, more often than not, understands what I'm talking about the first time around and hears the rest of it as just extraneous noise. With that, let's move on. Before I go, I do want to mention a few things that have piqued my interest recently. Joe Richter of Hindsightless, after watching the D&D movie, Honor Among Thieves, he mentioned he couldn't think of many fantasy films from the last 10 years, which prompted a few listener call-ins. But Jason Connolly called in to suggest a film I'd not heard of before called The Spine of Night from 2021. I thought I'd check it out. It's a rotoscope animation, which I have to say, I'm not particularly a fan of that technique. I'm a bit of an animation snob, to be honest. I always have been. I mean, obviously, it's been used to great effect in the past by uh, Ralph Bakshi and Richard Linklater. But I thought in this movie, it was quite crudely done. 
but I assume that was very much to do with budgetary constraints. This film would have been a tough sell to get made any other way, I think. An ultra-violent, dark fantasy horror epic for mature audiences. I mean, despite my reservations about the style, I really enjoyed it. I think the genre of sword and sorcery is very poorly served by cinema, generally speaking, certainly when you get outside of the 80s. And that's one of the reasons why I think this movie really stood out to me. So, uh, yeah, well worth checking out. But like I say, it is for mature audiences. As far as RPG stuff's concerned, David Blandy, creator of Lost Eons, is currently working on a game uh, that's available on itch using a similar post-human setting as Lost Eons, but based on the Into the Odd rules. I believe he's doing this out of desire to create something slightly uh, simpler, making it a bit more kind of pick up and play, perhaps. And that resulted in Eco Mofos, a great little zine that incorporates some of the ideas that Chris McDowell is currently using for Mythic Bastion Land. Eco Mofos is very rules light, but includes a lot of tools for creating content. I was very excited by this product from the moment I saw it. I may have spoken about it before. I certainly touched on it in that elusive recording of a conversation between me and Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus that I'm eager to share with you. So, uh, yeah, David Blandy is currently running an Itch Jam for Eco Mofos, which has had a handful of entries already. I think it's on until the end of May. Another reason I mention that is because when I started reading it, I instantly wanted to start rolling up characters. And I was thinking about how how I'd want to run it in a setting that's a little less post-human and maybe a little more near future. While I was contemplating that, Christian Bugetti's Mail Order Apocalypse arrived, a Kickstarter I backed some while ago, which is basically a setting very much like what I was imagining doing with Ecomofos, a world run by AI. Ordinary folk are marginalised and struggling to eke out an existence on the wasteland. Uh, this also uses the Into the Odd system, so I think it would be easy enough to use that game and steal liberally from the other one, or vice versa. Anyway, they're both awesome, and I'll put links to both games in the show notes. Oh, I'm sure you're all aware that Nave 2 recently launched on Kickstarter, and that is doing great guns. Well, I was listening to Ben talk about it on his YouTube channel, Questing Beast, and he's really quite surprised about how well he's doing. I think he said it's been the top project on Kickstarter for the last three days. Whether that's the top RPG-related project or projects in general, either way, that's uh, some pretty impressive stuff. And... uh, Funded in five minutes, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. As for what I've been playing, I managed to get my first taste, or, well, it's my second taste now, of Dungeon Crawl Classics. Andy Goodman of Grizzly Peaks Radio fame is running a group of us 
through the funnel that comes with the Dying Earth box set, the, the setting inspired by the Jack Vance novels. I'm having a hell of a time playing that. Two sessions in, and all four of my characters are still alive, which I think we've only lost one character so far out of the whole party, uh, much to Andy's frustration, but I'm sure the tide will turn soon enough. I've had a great time trying to come up with four different voices for my characters. Doing voices is something I've really embraced recently. That might be because I'm limbering up to put myself in the GMC. Who knows? But I sat down to play the most recent session, logged into um, Zencaster, was sitting there chatting away to myself trying out different voices and stuff and then this dreaded text appeared i can hear you <laughs> i gave andy a chuckle but i think i managed not to disgrace myself too much so i'm thinking about the next episode already i say that the next episode could be a chat between me and Barney, but it might be another kind of chat because I've been playing around with chat GPT, Google's AI thingy, <laughs> and I was trying to teach it some RPG rules so I could utilise it for a bit of solo play. And uh, that turned out to be quite an interesting experiment and I want to share uh, how that went in a coming episode. So, stay tuned for that. Well, that's about enough from me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your messages. I really do appreciate those. If you'd like to leave me a message, you can use the messaging function on the Anchor webpage. There'll be a link to that in the show notes, along with a link to SpeakPipe, which may be more helpful for you. You can always message me via my email address. That's spencer.freethrall at gmail.com. Be that text or audio. You can find me on Twitter at FreeThrall. There's also a Keep Off the Borderlands Facebook page. And I can be found on Discord, in the Audio Dungeon, and on a few other channels. And if you can figure out how to find me, you know more about how it works than I do. Alternatively, you can find links to all those things over on my card page at FreeThrall, one word, dot card, with two R's. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan for all his wonderful music and it just remains for me to say take it away TJ
Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.